Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey there, are you ready to elevate your personal brand or company? Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for video content and audience building. Imagine growing your brand organically on social media without the hassle of editing videos for hours. With Viral Growth, it's a breeze. They handle the brainstorming, scripting, and editing while you simply just hit record. And don't worry about your niche. They cater to everyone, from business and marketing to health and wellness. Are you ready to make waves in the social media realm? Visit viralgrowth.io and use code ADWEEK, that's A-D-W-E-E-K, all lowercase, and get 10% off your plan. Data gets used in a lot of ways, but when we talk about data for marketing, for second part, third party data for marketing actions, kind of only four things you're going to do. You're going to find targets and build audiences. You're going to personalize some sort of an experience, whether that's an own platform experience or that's a web experience or that's an email experience. You're going to get some insights out of it use that for brand developments later, or you're going to measure stuff. So that's kind of it. And if it's one of those four things that we can start the teams with, pick one of those, then we'll know what data to get and how to go get it for you. Welcome to today's episode of Brave Commerce. I'm Rachel Tippograph, the founder and CEO of Micmac. I'm Sarah Hofstetter, president of Profitero. And this is a show that talks about what's relevant in e-commerce for the world's biggest brands. Today, we have Jay Piccinato, who comes to us from General Mills. He is today the VP of Advanced Marketing Solutions at General Mills, but that is a recent pivot from heading up global commerce. And I think from some of the other conversations that have been going on over the course of the past few hours, we've been talking a lot about career pivots along, yes, a lot of retail media, AI, blah, blah, blah. But it's all about people here. And I think it's been a very interesting career trajectory for you, how you've kind of migrated into all these different roles. So before we get into the nuances of all that other kind of fun stuff, can you give a little bit of how you ended up where you are? Sure. Thank you. Yeah. I do think I've had a slightly different career than, than most, at least in my building. Now, I've also been a journalist for 23 years. So it's the job I have. It's the only job I've ever had. Outside of this, I, I coached some hockey as a college student. So that's about it. I started at General Mills, but I started in brand management. You don't look a day over 29. Uh, yeah, that's not yeah. true. <laughs> Did a little bit in sales, ended up back in marketing, and then most recent time I was leading our global commerce team. So it came out of our shopper organization and natural fit into global commerce. And then about a month ago, I moved into this new role where it's more around the capabilities to enable commerce, not so much the activation that we do. Given that you've been there for over 20 years, how do you stay relevant? How do you make sure that you're not just focus on what's happening internally at General Mills to be able to upskill yourself? Uh, I probably don't stay very relevant, so that's probably <laughs> problem number one. We um, speakers yeah, here. That's right, brilliance. Some of it's this. I try to get out on both the speaking circuit, but also just the you know, kind of the summit circuit, just so I can hear the experts in the field, hear other positions and work that I wouldn't have thought to be able to to have. Partner with some of the people in this audience on well, how has your path been, and how do you 
navigate internal or external changes from your kind of position. So just try to just try to learn from others. And I'm super comfortable with General Mills. I, I love it there, but I've been spoiled to have kind of two to three years. Here's here's a different task to go after that's allowed me to, to try to at least stay a little bit more on the emerging side. So General Mills, it's been around for over 150 years. That means you've been there for nearly 10% of the, the company's history, which is remarkable. And a lot has changed in the industry over the last 150 years. And I, I think this is the third commerce week. And if we wound back the clock to three years ago, Sarah, I imagine programming at this event had a lot to do with D2C and challenger brands. 100%. There's a, a lot of conversation about how cool it was to be D2C, especially in CBG and even more so in food. And a lot of the bigger companies were like, why would you do that when everybody shops for stuff in the store that does not really check out? And all these D2C brands were getting these crazy valuations. They were the insurgents. They were the ones that were getting all of the attention and whatnot. And then the big like aha reveal for them was going to be like, wow, we really need to scale. How the heck are we going to scale? It's like, well, get into Walmart. Oh, hmm. what happened? And then all of a sudden they realized that going direct to consumer actually isn't a defensible brand value proposition. And they're having an identity crisis asking themselves, hey, if we sit on the shelf next to General Mills, this actually differentiates us from a brand that's been around for 150 years. And when we we're speaking with you, Jay. I know that's a big area of focus is how do we ensure that General Mills brands will remain relevant and defensible for the next 150 years? Seems like a massive question. <laughs> What's sort of your take on what it will take for General Mills to remain defensible? Well, I think one of the huge advantages we have to some of the smaller companies is we're good at putting stuff on shelf. Our supply chain is so exceptional that we don't have the challenges that come with service issues to the extent of our smaller competitors. We don't have issues that come with trying to get the customer call that some of our smaller competitors have. But what we don't do well and what they do exceedingly well is they are really good at truly understanding their audience, using data to drive their audience creation as well as their messaging and doing that at, a, at an efficiency and agility that we're not used to. Mm. Right? We're used to putting TV commercials on TV and mass audience reach and just Worrying about reaching frequency and call it a day. And so I think if you would have asked me that two years ago, how we're going to continue to change, it would have been kind of point-by-point -point problem solving. We need to do better at data-driven performance marketing. Let's put some initiatives around data-driven performance marketing. We need to do better at multicultural marketing. Let's put capabilities together in that place. Or we need to build up our own platforms with tools and technology that we haven't really played with before because they're getting a little stale. So let's put some focused efforts there. And how we're trying to evolve is to say, hey, all of our brands need to operate in a somewhat similar way. They need to be modern in the way we're going to market. And so how do we really set up a, a modern way of marketing for our brand teams that says your foundation needs to be solid. It needs to be who you stand for, what your purpose is of your brand. Then we need to teach everybody, how do you really do great data-driven marketing? How do you think about audience creation in a way that it's not find a brand champion like we used to and put our mass market communication to them, but I have brand music inspiration, but I need to have 25 different audience segments. Mm -hmm. How do I do that? That's a change dynamic for our marketers. And then how do we make the content that can keep up with that type of pace is a, is a change for our marketers. So really trying to get to those solid brand foundations, really trying to understand 
how do we use data to drive our audience building and our insight to get to ideas and then how do we activate with the tools and technology of today is, is more holistic as we approach brand building today than we would have been two years ago in kind of the point situation and then definitely five years ago when we're talking mass reach vehicles. In that equation, what makes General Mills unique? Because I imagine there's another competitor on the other side of the table that is having a very similar dialogue. Yeah. So that's a great question. I think we're trying to be faster than our main competitors. I think we come with a, some assets that we're pretty blessed with at General Mills. We have such a broad portfolio of of brand. We've covered the entire grocery store, including the pet aisle now. And so when we come with 28 categories that we can be experts at with our partners, that's a differentiator mm -hmm. for us. The scale of solutions that come. So consumers want solutions. They don't, they don't really want breakfast cereal. They want to understand my solve for the breakfast meal, or I need snacking solutions. And so the scale that we bring helps us do that in a better way than simply with an individual product. And then we have some platforms that bring us some really good data. And I know mm -hmm. we're going to talk a little bit about data later, but when we talk about Docker.com or Pillsbury.com or our BoxTops application or our Buddy's Pet application, these are some proprietary things to us that are pretty large in scale that give us some access to some of our competitors. Yeah. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey there, podcast fam. Are you ready to break free from the social media rut? Hold on to your hatch because we've got just a thing for you. Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for leveling up your online presence. Whether you're a personal brand or a company, they've got the tools and know-how to take you to the next level. With Viral Growth, forget about those endless hours of video editing. They handle everything from brainstorming to polishing your content so you can just focus on being awesome. And guess what? We're hooking you up with a sweet deal. Use code ADWEEK for 10% off when you sign up. Ready to take your social media game to the next level? Head on over to viralgrowth.io and let's turn those digital dreams into a reality. We interviewed Indra Nuhi at a similar type of event, and she said the exact same thing, which is in this day and age, the key differentiator to win is scale. If all you have is scale, but you don't have hustle and smarts, mm -hmm. I think you're totally screwed. And I think people that are actually bringing just scale and then resting on their laurels or kind of missing out on how to take advantage. You could be a dinosaur. That's not saying you are, but it's more of the, like, I'm, I'm trying to bring this out of you because one of the things that I think is so neat about your career in particular is you've been through all of these different capabilities. Now it's your job to harness it all across a very big, vast organization, lots of categories, lots of aisles, lots of use cases and need states for humans and for pets. And so how do you now use a role in both empathizing with the roles you've had in the past and the role you have in the future to then drive that shared consciousness, but also that North Star for everybody else? Challenge for us is, is much more about change management of the organization than it is the technology we need to have or the access to data that we need to get. On the tech side, there's always some technology that will do what we need it to do. Not that hard to feel like there's going to be a solution there. The challenge is getting marketers of 150-year to change the way they think about their job, 
change brand manager's ways of going, hey, I used to be the guy that has to pick the strategy. I have to pick the need state and the occasion, and I have to pick the audience I want to go after. I, strategically, that's my role is to do those things. And now it's not really. Like there's computers are going to do most of that stuff for us. So your job is, is to think through, yes, still the brand strategy and what you need to accomplish, set us up with a good, a good idea. But then you have to kind of let the system take hold and be a little bit more of the audit and agility on the back end than you are the strategy on the front end. And that's a huge challenge for our brand managers. I thought my role was something else. And so we're spending a significant amount of time. My role is as much come up with the right technology for the team and help them understand the process they need to implement. But it's much more, your job is different now. What we need you to do looks a little different. It's very interesting because if I think of the brand manager of 20 years ago and the brand manager of today, the amount of time spent thinking about data 20 years ago versus now, I, I, I am just in my head wondering how has the curriculum of an MBA student changed as, mm -hmm. a, as a result of how much time you need to be thinking about it. So if you're sitting here speaking to brand management and General Mills, what is the from to on where how much brain space you need to be thinking about data in building brands? Right. So there's a couple of pieces of the data. One is your job is not to do all the strategy. I had this great conversation with our, our Nature Valley brand manager, and it was, hey, you want to win. I want to win with households with kids. I want to win the breakfast occasion. I want to win. I have, you know, my big news right now is recyclable wrapper, something like that. Our challenge would be you get to pick one of those, only one. Because if you pick households with kids, I'm going to tell you the need state that's most important for households with kids, and I'm going to tell you the message that's most important for that particular need state because that's going to be math that's going to take over and, and do that job for you. And so it's a bit of... Hey, I got to help educate your strategy job is less this and more understanding the tools and the algorithms and everything else is going to drive this. And then the other side of it is what you're describing with regard to the data set is really starting with this, this end notion in mind. When I think about that, I'm a super linear thinker. So I go, okay, I got to go get some, I got to house it. I got to figure out how to publish and share the data. And then I know what to do and activate behind it. And the problem is if you go down that linear path, you stop you don't get the right data in the first place, right? So we really need our brand managers to understand, I need to strategically understand what you are trying to accomplish with this data set before I can tell you what data we need to get and how to then go house it and use it. Uh, and if we don't start at the back end and then work our way forward, we, we get into the problems where we get a bunch of data we don't know what to do with, or we have the data that's telling us, hey, I understand this about consumers, but I wanted to know this about consumers and it's not helpful anymore. And so we're training our teams to, a, let the computers do the computers thing, and B, start with the end in mind when we're talking about our data strategy has is, is been pretty key for us. So dive a little bit deeper about data strategy. You said something, you and I were catching up a few weeks ago, that I don't always hear from a brand executive, which is, you said, first-party data isn't the end deal. So here we are in an industry that is constantly advocating zero-party data, first-party data, and then there's second, and there's third. What's your perspective on why first-party data isn't the end-all, be-all? So I think that we're going to be able to win. So General Mills is never going to have 250 million households in our data. We're not going to get to that scale. I think where we're going to be able to win is with the right cocktail recipe. Right? I'm going to know how to target audiences better than all of my competitors because I understand the right amount of first, second, third, zero, whatever level you want to start at, party data that, that drives the right recipe. So I understand... Weather patterns, which is clearly not first-party data, with household data on purchase behavior that we're getting secondhand, candidly, and then some behavior data on our own platforms. That cocktail recipe, coupled with there's a pet in the house, now I know who to target for Nature Valley Grill Bars. That, to me, is going to be the magic. And so it's not 
I want our teams to not be spending as much time of just I'm laser focused on acquisition of first party data. Mm -hmm. Because again, to go back to that other statement, I don't know if they're going to get the right stuff, mm -hmm. right? They're going to get an email address, maybe. That's not enough. And I want them more focused on what is the right cocktail recipe for second, third party data that's actually going to drive the behaviors we want. Mm -hmm. and, and one of the things I push on our businesses is at the end of the day with marketing data, data gets used in a lot of ways. But when we talk about data for marketing, for second part, third party data for marketing actions, kind of only four things you're going to do. You're going to find targets and build audiences. You're going to personalize some sort of an experience, whether that's an own platform experience or that's a web experience or that's an email experience. You're going to get some insights out of it and use that for brand developments later, or you're going to measure stuff. So that's kind of it. And if it's one of those four things that we can start the teams with, pick one of those, then we'll know what data to get and how to go get it for you. In this idea of a cocktail recipe, I think we're going to be in a better spot. Mm -hmm. In terms of data sets, you definitely went over some fundamentals, but I imagine a big opportunity for General Mills is actually to use data to increase the value with your retail partners, to show Walmart or Target like, hey, we're driving value for your business. When you think about sales enablement, given that you started, started your career on the sales side of the house, how are you thinking about a data strategy that can support the sales team to have stronger their retail partners. So there's two, two ways we need to do a better job. I think when we bring our data sets in concert with Walmart's, as an example, in a clean room, we get to better targeting. Mm -hmm. So we can do the, we figure that out, do that test. Again, that's a bit of the cocktail recipe is clean rooms and what retailers' data brings to bear as well. Retailers know more about what's going on in their building than they do, but what they don't know is what's going on outside of their building in their proximity. And mm -hmm. so, how do we start to use data sets and, and really purchase behavior data to show a Kroger or show a Walmart in your area where your store is, and we, we, we do circuit measurement as an example, where we say, hey, somebody went to three different stores yesterday, Walmart, then Target, then Kroger. They bought cereal at Kroger. But why did that happen? Mm -hmm. They went to two other stores that sell cereal. Why was that the time they, they made that purchase? And that's not, that's not a data set that Walmart has access to, but we do. Mm -hmm. And so how do we start to use that as a sales enablement? Yeah. When you think about the multi-retailer strategy, that's that's the right counter to how do you come to market with the retailers, but then how do you feed back to the retailers all the things that you're learning from the cross-retailer perspective? We talked a lot about people. You also have to think about product. How is that product resonating? How are people shopping for that product? How much of that is researching online, building your list online, walking into the store, burning, how you give that credit back and forth? So how do you think about that omni journey and the role that how the product shows up physical shelf or virtual shelf in order to entice that consumer? Yeah, I, that's, I, I don't know that I'm going to have a great answer to that question because I think that's a, a really, a really strong one, right? I think we have to consider digital shelf, physical shelf. We have to do a better job of really evaluating what's online. We, we don't do this well, right? We have to figure out better evaluating what is online and how are you showing up online versus how you're showing up in the store. And some of the magic is going to be how do you actually get better attribution of online activity for in-store purchase. That's been one of the hardest things, well, measurement in this space has, has always been a bit of a challenge, but one of the hardest things is to say the activity that I have, and I take at a retail media network, or I take act in an in-store action, the attribution of that to online and offline sales is really, really hard. And so I think that's going to be probably one of the bigger, bigger unlocks to answering your question in a better way. It's something that we all have to not just think about, but we actually have to push the customers, the retailers themselves, to provide that. I mean, Walmart recently announced that 88% of Food and Bev shoppers are checking their app, the Walmart app, two to four times per shopping trip while in store. That's for things like cereal, yogurt, like just 
regular food and bed kind of products and 88%. Now, personally, I don't really understand how that works. Like if you're pushing your shopping cart hour, like I don't know the ergonomics of it. I'm personally kind of klutzy, so I would not attempt that regardless. But they're doing it. They're checking reviews. They're comparing prices. They're comparing prices at other retailers while they're doing it. So we have to start coming back. Like how you show up to the customer becomes so much more important because the customer's got to come back to you and say, well, if you invest in proving XYZ, therefore you will not see it in either online or in-store right. conversion. It'll just be a different leg in that consideration. Speaking about hard things, okay. the market is up 30% since the top of that's that's good news, but we're still all navigating a lot of headwinds, such as attribution challenges, the overall competitive ecosystem, inflation, deflation, the role of AI. It's yeah. going to fundamentally change search. Like, how are you thinking about upcoming headwinds? Yeah, I would say the, the way I'm trying to get our team, and I think our organization trying to get our teams is is less on prediction and more on agility. It's either becoming much harder to predict how changes are going to impact our business, how inflation is going to impact our business, because we keep getting it wrong, or we're really shitty at it now. But it's one of the two. And so rather than focus on that, we are trying to push our teams, you need to be agile. Weekly plans don't really work. How do we bring in measurement in a way that allows us to make decisions more quickly, even if it's an 80% decision right? Our CEO does an excellent job of talking about if we can get the teams marching roughly in the same direction, 30,000 people roughly going north, we're going to be fine. And if some people are going a little northeast and some people are going a little northwest, it's not going to matter. Let them adjust and move with it as they need to. And that's how we, I think we're, we're trying to combat this one, Rachel. It's more be agile, give the decision rights to the teams on the front lines decisions and get everybody roughly going in the right direction. I love that. Just stay north. Yeah. So we're coming towards the end of the episode. We have to ask you our famous last question. Jay, the bravest thing you've ever done. So i Really appreciative you gave me a little heads up on this one because <laughs> I, uh, you know, I was racking my brain. I was thinking through hey, some big stuff in life, and I can talk about some big stuff in life or some big work decisions. And what I was really wrestling with, Kelly, when you say brave, it has more than just risk management or big decision to me. It's it's got some sort of personal sacrifice that comes at the expense of taking an action, usually for in the service of someone else. And so I'm gonna use a really dumb one. I have a, a 13 year old daughter, and about uh, four years ago. My 13-year-old daughter wanted to go on a, a very ridiculous ropes course at some adventure park. I do not like heights, but uh, my daughter has me wrapped around her little finger, so of course I decided I would go up on this course and walk across planks at 150 feet in the air. So that's what I'm going to use as my, my bravest moment. Okay. Did you make it to the other side? No, not really. I hugged the pole until, <laughs> until somebody came and got me. But, yeah. I would have done the same yeah. thing. <laughs> Just so you know. I would yeah. not have even suggested. Nice. And that's what makes and that's what makes you a good Brave Commerce guest. Well, if you liked this episode of Brave Commerce, there are some others we might want to serve up for you to consider listening to. If you don't already subscribe to Brave Commerce, pick a podcast network and just pick us out. We are distributed by the wonderful folks at Adweek. Can I hear for Adweek? Leave us a review. Rachel, what's, what's another episode that comes to mind that you say, ooh, it'd be great if you listen to that one? Um, I think if you want to nerd out about data, we have a good episode with Doug Milken at Clorox, where we go deep on that topic. Talk about the changing face of challenger brands. Check out the founder of Magic Spoon, which is obviously in uh, your competitive space to just listen to his take, as well as the founder of Supergoop that's making a lot of headways in skincare and sun care. 
Hey there, are you ready to elevate your personal brand or company? Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for video content and audience building. Imagine growing your brand organically on social media without the hassle of editing videos for hours. With Viral Growth, it's a breeze. They handle the brainstorming, scripting, and editing while you simply just hit record. And don't worry about your niche. They cater to everyone, from business and marketing to health and wellness. Are you ready to make waves in the social media realm? Visit viralgrowth.io and use code ADWEEK, that's A-D-W-E-E-K, all lowercase, and get 10% off your plan. Hi, I'm Jackie Cooper, Global Chief Brand Officer at Edelman and the host of Touch of Truth, a new podcast launching on the Adweek Podcast Network. My dad gave me this incredibly smart piece of advice, meet everyone once. As a result, I've met some of the most fascinating and inspiring people on the planet. Now on Touch of Truth, we're coming center stage and sharing the mic to experience stories of truth, insights and visions for the future that will challenge your way of thinking. Touch of Truth is available wherever you listen to podcast new episodes come out every tuesday i do hope to see you there